following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Welcome once again. I am really excited to start this new series um, with you all today. It's a series called Being Christian, and it's based on a book by the same title by Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury. And uh, this is our Artisan Spring Read. If you've been around Artisan for a long time, you know that we've done some summer reads. Um, This one is a spring read. Uh, It's just a different time of year, but it's the same concept. We're going to read the book together, and uh, we'll talk about it each week. Now, I have been, uh, what's the word? Encouraged to choose books that are not quite so dense (laughs) Uh, sometimes in the past. This one is very readable. It's only four chapters. You could probably knock them out in about 15 minutes, give or take a few minutes, depending on how quickly you read. And it's very conversational because it's actually derived from talks that Rowan Williams gave. Um, And so it's uh, quite digestible. It's really a lovely little book. I enjoyed reading it very much, and I think you will too. Um, We um, sold out of the last copies that I had at the first service, but it's only $6. So... Um, you can, if you have Amazon Prime, you can order it right now while I'm talking, and you'll get it on Tuesday for $6. If you don't have Amazon Prime and you'd like to get a copy this week, please see me afterwards because I have Amazon Prime. <laughs> and I will um, get it shipped to you directly, and you'll get it on Tuesday. So um, don't miss out on this. Um, my hope is that these sermons and all that we talk about during this time will make sense even if you're not reading the book. But I think your experience will be better if you do read the book, not least because Rowan Williams is approximately 16 times smarter than I am. And uh, so you don't want to miss out on the book if you can help it. Um, The way he describes this book in the introduction, it's the second sentence of the introduction, he says that this is a book about the simple and recognizable things that make you realize that you are part of a Christian community. So in other words, it's not necessarily a book about being a Christian. It's not necessarily a book about Christian practice. It's more a book about what the marks of a Christian community are, what the church ought to look like, in other words. Now, of course, once you start talking about that, it does sort of evolve into discussing Christian Christian practice as well. So it's there. But the concept of the book is what what does it look like to be Christian? Uh, now, many of you have traveled with us here at Artisan for some time now, and I imagine that there may be some of you who are here now for the second week, having visited for the first time last week on Easter Sunday, and it's our hope that this series will help to orient us or maybe reorient us um, to the life that we share, what it could look like, what it ought to look like. And it may be that some of you, over the course of the next few weeks, as we're discussing what what it means to be Christian, you will suddenly have this strange realization that, oops, I am one. (laughs) I wouldn't have described myself that way before, maybe a month ago, definitely not a year ago, but if that's what it is, then that's what I am. That's who I am. And if that turns out to be the case for you, um, we would love to talk to you more. Uh, about you know how to take the next steps, um, those first steps of of, of conscious faith. Um, so, as I said, there's four chapters in the book. We'll spend one week on each of the chapters. That gets us to four weeks, and then we have two bonus weeks at the end of the series. 
in the fifth week, we will uh, have a chance for some of you to share your reflections on the book, not just on the book, but on the concepts that are in it. So again, you could do this if, if you don't read the book. Just um, as we've thought about it and talked about it, what comes to mind for you? What new realizations have you had? Um, that kind of thing. And we're going to give you a chance during the sermon time, instead of me talking, it'll be you talking. And that will be really fun. Whenever we do that kind of thing, I'm always amazed at how incredibly insightful all of you are <laughs> and how true it is that the Spirit speaks to each one of us in, and often in different and unexpected ways. That's why we make space for that kind of thing a few times a year at least. Uh, so that's the fifth week out. And then the sixth week out, uh, we will actually be having a baptism service where uh, those of you who are desiring to confess faith for the first time publicly will baptize you right here in this room. Um, and I, I won't go into the controversy about infant baptism that exists in some corners of the church, but we do baptize infants at parents' requests. We also dedicate them. In other words, not baptize them at parents' requests. We're, we have this generous orthodoxy, all right? So we have space for lots of people um, who have different views on a lot of things, baptism being one of them. But if you have uh, a, a new baby who you'd like to have baptized uh, or dedicated on that day, we will be happy to do that. It'll be a really beautiful celebration of our whole community's life together and new steps that people are taking. Uh, and we may actually welcome new members into the church that day as well. Now, for the fifth and sixth weeks, that's May 21st and 28th, um, I want you to know that starting on May 21st, we are going to go down to one service together. We were going to do that in June anyway, but the last Sunday in May is Memorial Day, and then the, the Sunday before is this special thing that we want to do. So we just decided on May 21st, we're going to one service. It will be at 10 a.m. Now, that was a great relief to the 845 service people. I imagine for some of you, maybe not so much of a relief, but we are going to go to one service through the summer um, at 10 a.m., so that starts May 21st. I'm giving you lots of notice, so you can practice getting up a little bit earlier every week <laughs> between now and then, and you'll be just fine. We'll get through this together. So, being Christian, four, four weeks, baptism, Bible, Eucharist, and prayer, and today we begin with baptism, chapter 1. And the way that I would like to talk about b baptism is that it is a sign of two things. It's a sign, first, of a new identity, and second of a new job. Baptism as a sign of new identity, meaning uh, this is who you are now. Whoever you were before, this is who you are now. And baptism as a sign of your new job, which is to say, this is what you will do now. Whatever you did before or didn't do before, this is now your new job as a baptized Christian. So a new identity and a new job. That seems like kind of a lot just for somebody who's, like, undergone this fairly common religious ritual, right? Uh, well, it may be that you have an understanding of baptism that is just a fairly common religious ritual. And that's true as far as it goes. But what I hope to convey to you this morning is that baptism is much more than that. That's what I mean about a new identity and a new job. So let's talk about, uh, first of all, about baptism as a sign of who you are now, that, that new identity part. Who are you when you get baptized? Who do you become? Well, first and foremost, um, baptism means that, that you are now identifying yourself with Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, as we go down, we can separate that out a little bit. 
we can think about what it means to identify ourselves with Jesus in a few different ways. There's different layers of meaning to that phrase. Uh, the first layer of meaning is it's purely literal, which is to say Jesus got baptized. And if you choose to get baptized, you are doing something that Jesus did. You're identifying with an action that he took, right? That's simple enough. As a matter of fact, um, let me read to you the story of the baptism of Jesus as it's told in the Gospel of Mark. This is told in a few different places in the Christian scriptures. Um, I like this one for today. And if you'd like to follow along in the Bibles, you can. It would be on page 812 in these red Bibles. Uh, which, by the way, if you don't own a Bible, please take one with you when you go. You can also just uh, kind of listen. This is chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And when you read that very brief story with an eye toward identifying with Jesus, then the, the way it ends becomes very um, beautiful and encouraging, doesn't it? Because if you're thinking of yourself as experiencing what Jesus is experiencing in that moment, that's, that's pretty good. As Jesus comes up out of the water, the, the heavens are torn open, which... Okay, maybe that's a little scary. And then the dove descends, which, okay, maybe that's a little anticlimactic. But it's the, it's the Spirit of God descending on Jesus in that moment. And then the audible voice of the Father from heaven saying, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. So in baptism, not only do we do something that Jesus did, but we also receive a new uh, definition of our identity. In solidarity with him, we're taken up into the loving dance of the Trinity. Do you see the Father and the Son and the Spirit all in one place here in this story? And then we're told that we are God's beloved son or God's beloved daughter. We're the child of a loving parent. Some of you haven't had the experience of your biological father or mother saying this kind of thing to you. You are my beloved child. Maybe they didn't do that. Maybe that wasn't the nature of the relationship. Maybe, maybe they weren't there for one reason or another and couldn't say that to you. They would have if they could. But to hear God the Father say that to Jesus as he comes out of the waters of baptism. And then for you to go into the waters of baptism and come out of the water yourself, imagine the joy at hearing God the Father say, you are my beloved child. I'm so happy with you. And did you catch the connections, by the way, in this biblical story with another very famous story in the Bible? This is one of the things we do when we study Scripture together. We're starting our, our Thursday studio spiritual formation gatherings again this week. One of the things we do is we, when we look at a, a part of the Bible is we ask ourselves, what connections do we see to other parts of the Bible? So in this story, what, else, what connections do you see to a famous Bible story? Where else in the Bible does the Spirit of God 
hover over water. And the voice of God speak lovingly of the human being before him. Come on, Bible nerds. What am I talking about? <laughs> creation, right. It's, it's one of the creation stories. It's the first creation story, as a matter of fact. Right there in Genesis 1. The Spirit of God hovers over the waters and separates the waters. By the way, water in the Bible almost always symbolizes chaos. And so when God separates the waters, He's bringing order and safety out of chaos. And you notice He does it with the land, and He does it with the water that's above the sky and below, because clearly the rain comes from the water part that's above the sky, right? <laughs> this is why you don't get cosmology from <laughs> Genesis 1. But anyway, um, <clears throat> God separates the waters brings order to them. When, when Moses leads the people through the Red Sea, God parts the waters of chaos and they pass through in safety. When God controls the water, that's a sign of God being in control of all the, the most dangerous and chaotic elements of, of uh, creation. But anyway, in this moment, at Jesus' baptism, we see the signs of God the Creator at the beginning of all things. And so it is in some sense intended to make us think that this is a new thing. And so when we are baptized in solidarity with Jesus and we come up out of the water and the Spirit is there hovering over the water, speaking words of love and pleasure, goodness over us, that is, it ought to be for us a reminder that God is making something new. That in baptism, we, we are being remade by the Maker. The Apostle Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See? Behold, everything has become new. Uh, Rowan Williams says, says it this way. It's the recovery of humanity as God intended it. Doesn't that sound good? We need to look around and see that humanity is not going the way God intended it. And in baptism, there's a little moment of recreation, of restoration of humanity the way God intended it to be. And it is all so uh, wonderful. It's so promising. It's so beautiful. But it is, in some ways, a terrible beauty. Because the first half of baptism is a symbol of death. Always remember that in the Christian story, every resurrection is preceded by a death. I suppose that would be true of any kind of story, the definitions being what they are. But a big part of the Christian story is the idea that resurrection follows death. Which is why I spent so much time last week in my Easter sermon talking about the crucifixion. Because you need to grasp the death before the resurrection has any meaning or any depth. Now, in the act, there's lots of ways of baptizing people, but in the act of an immersion-style baptism, we actually put somebody under the water. A person is taken down under the water, down into the chaos, where they literally cannot breathe, where if we left them, they would perish. That's the symbolism of, of baptism. That's why the beauty is terrible, because we're symbolizing death. And yes, you're raised out of that death, out of that depth. 
as a sign of being raised with Christ to new life. But you can't skip the death. It's part of the story. Now Jesus knew this acutely. He spoke of it often in his ministry, especially as he got closer to the crucifixion. But perhaps nowhere more poignantly than when he said in Luke 12.50 of his suffering that was to come that it would be a what? A baptism. The word baptism just means a, a dipping, an immersion. He says, I have a baptism. And the NIV translates the next little bit as to undergo. I have a baptism to undergo. And what stress I am under until it is completed. Uh, The NRSV, which is just a different English translation of the same Greek words that happens to be the one that we have in the Red Bibles, is a little closer to the truth of the Greek because he says, I have a baptism with which to be baptized. (laughs) Which, you know, that's not really how we talk, which is probably why the NIV changed a little bit. But that's what happens in the Greek. There's the noun and there's the verb. It's like this image of being carried under the waves again and again. I have a baptism in which to be baptized. The suffering that he anticipates is so profound, so total, that it's like being brought under the water, being dipped into suffering. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6 something like this, Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ We're baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. We are baptized into Christ's death before we are raised with Christ into his new life. Rome Williams says that it's like being swamped, which is, I think, a really like awesome, visceral image, being swamped in the story of Jesus. All of it. So we identify with Jesus in the action that we take. He was baptized, we get baptized. We identify with Jesus in the fact that in, in some measure we have to die Die to our old self so that we can be raised to new life. And the other way that we identify with Jesus in our baptism, or we ought to, is that we identify with the mission of Jesus. See, as Jesus enters the the world to restore humanity, he necessarily descends into the chaos of that world. Have you seen or noticed our world that it is somewhat chaotic. The Savior of the world cannot enter into our world without descending into, into chaos. And if we are to walk in the way of Jesus, if we are to identify with the work of Jesus, we too must be dipped, immersed, baptized into the chaos and the mess and the mud. Rowan Williams says, to be a Christian is to be affected, you might even say contaminated, by the mess of humanity. 
Who wants to sign up for that? (laughs) But remember, Jesus said, wherever I am, there my servants will be also. And where do we see Jesus going? We do not see Jesus going to the places where everybody has everything all together. We see Jesus going to the places where people do not have everything all together. And by the way, the people who look like they have everything all together are only pretending anyway. So to, to turn our backs on those who are at least being honest about it in favor of, of spending all our time with people who are pretending that it's all good is not only counter to the mission of Jesus, but it's, it's a big, giant lie anyway. That's why Rowan Williams says, the path of a baptized person is a dangerous one. And he goes on to say, and I loved this, that baptism is, is necessarily something that we do together. I'm going to quote this at some length here because it's so good. Baptism brings you into the neighborhood of other Christians. And there's no way of being a Christian without being in the neighborhood of other Christians. Bad news for many because other Christians can be so difficult. We are implicated in one another. Our lives are interwoven. Have you met some Christians? (laughs) Aren't they the worst? (laughs) That's who we got. Because we're the worst too. (laughs) So baptism is a sign of our new identity, of who we are now. Whoever we were before, you come up out of that baptism water or you feel it cascading down over your head and now you're a new person. The old is gone. The new has come. And now there's work to be done. Because for those who are baptized into the identity, death, life, and mission of Jesus, there's the work of Jesus, which now we have to and get the wonderful privilege of taking up. See, identifying with Jesus is not just about changing who we are. It also involves changing what we do in this world. You suddenly have a new job description. (laughs) We want to be little Christs, if you will. In all the corners of creation, all the little places we go in the world, our job is to carry Jesus there with us. And in fact, to be Jesus there for other people. Now, Rowan Williams talks about the roles of Jesus as being threefold. This is a very classical way of thinking of Jesus as a prophet and a priest and a king. Uh, and so if we're going to take on the work of Jesus, we ourselves have to act as prophets, priests, and kings, or queens, if you will. So I'm uh, not going to go into too much depth on that. Rowan Williams is good with it. If you grab the book, read what he has to say about it. It's really, really lovely. But I'm going to give you the, the thumbnail sketch of this because it's really fascinating to think that we might be able to be those three roles. Those are some pretty high-grade... Uh, high <laughs> jobs, aren't they? We might not think we're up for the role of a prophet or priest or a king or a queen, but here's what it means. To be a prophet, in the Hebrew scriptures particularly, and that carries over into the Christian tradition, it's, it's not about foretelling the future, all right? So there's, we see some of that in the Old Testament prophets, 
especially as Christians, we see uh, uh, the foretelling of the coming of the Messiah, and we believe Jesus is that Messiah, and so we see that there. But that's really not a very high percentage of what happens in the Old Testament prophets. Most of the Old Testament prophets are uh, them reminding everybody else in the religious community, and so by extension that would be us, of all the many and profound ways that they are screwing up their calling as people of God. That's the role of a prophet. And uh, if you can do it uh, with flamboyant, offensive language, then you're, you're really embracing the role of an Old Testament prophet because that's the way they did it. Right? How many people like to be told in flamboyant, uh, offensive language the ways that you're messing everything up? <laughs> Nobody likes that. Nobody wants, to, <laughs> nobody wants to be on the receiving end of that type of prophetic language. Some of us don't like confrontation or conflict, and we don't want to be on the giving end of that kind of language, that kind of prophetic work. But that's part of what we're called to do, because it's part of who we're called to be. And so we are going to be in tension with each other if we're going to act like Jesus and, and be prophetic for one another. It gets uncomfortable. That's part of, part of the, what it is. What does the priest do? Well, the priest in the, uh, in the Old Testament uh, interprets God and humanity to each other, building bridges between God and humanity where that relationship has become damaged or destroyed. Right? And in the old sacrificial system, there was, there was this, this kind of ritualistic way of doing this. The priestly work of Jesus reconciles us to God. As little Christs called to carry out the work of Jesus in the world, we have to be priests, which means we have to be bridge builders. We have to find the places where the bridges between God and humanity have been torn down or wrecked or are in need of repair. And let me give you a hint. Almost all the time, it's because of the way religious people act. And we have to rebuild those bridges. Sometimes we have to construct new bridges that weren't there before. And let me tell you, some people really don't want any new bridges. Not over that part of the river, but that's the work of the priest. It's the work of Jesus. It's our work. And then lastly, the king or the queen, the monarch. The king was also somebody who spoke for spoke on behalf of God to the people, or uh, on behalf of the people to God. But the king, unlike the priest, had the political power to shape the law of the society, and so to incorporate God's desire and design and intention into the society in a formal, uh, legal way. That was part of the king's role. And uh, as the prophet Jeremiah tells us, the king will know God by favoring the poor and doing justice for the needy. So, if we're going to take on the role of the king, it doesn't mean that we get the feasts and the banquets and the castles or whatever you might think of when you think of King Arthur or Game of Thrones, or whatever you think of for kings. <laughs> the role of the king in this sense 
is to work for God's justice in the society and to use the power and freedom that we have for that reason. So, when you are baptized, you take on a new identity, the identity of Jesus. And when you're baptized, you take on a new job description. You have to become a prophet, you have to become a priest, and you have to become a king or a queen. Those are the jobs that we take on when we come up out of that water. What a beautiful picture of what the church could be. I don't know about you, if you read this, but when I read it, I was so happy. I wanted to jump up and shout hooray with this picture of the church. Because we have such a negative picture of the church, sometimes very deservedly, sometimes not so much, and the stereotypes play back and forth, and they feed into the reality and back and forth like that. But we think of the church as such a, uh, an ugly place sometimes. It's portrayed that way because sometimes it's true, but a place of uh, exclusion or um, too much politics or hypocrisy or homophobia or... Um, you know, racial divides or the perpetuation of economic injustice. You know, depending on which streams you swim in, you might have different negative pictures of the church. And I think we spend so much time talking about how that corner or this corner of the church is so negative in the following ways, and that's not who we are. We're not going to be like that. And do you realize what we've done in that moment? We've defined ourselves not by who we are, but by who we aren't. It's a lot easier and a lot more um, pleasurable, <laughs> which is to say it stimulates certain parts of our brain to say, I'm not like that. I'm not like them. We're not like that other place. And we need to stop with that. We have to do the much harder but much richer work of saying, I am, we are this. And what this is, is baptized people which means that we have taken on the identity, the role, the tasks, the actions, the work of Jesus, the Savior. And that is a beautiful story. And I hope that you feel the same way, um, having either read the book or heard my summary of this first chapter. I hope that you are beginning to be drawn up into the picture of what the church can be and that you're excited to be part of it. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to come and take communion, which we do every week at Artisan. You can come and take a piece of the bread, remembering Christ's body, which was broken for you. Dip it in the wine or the juice, remembering the blood, which was shed for the forgiveness of sins. You can take it as an act of remembrance. You can take it as spiritual food. You can take it as an act of continuity and community with each other and with other believers around the world and across the millennia. But we also have here today with us the other beautiful sacrament, the church. And I love how God worked this out for us, that this reminder of God's grace is just bread and juice. It's grain and, I don't know, water and eggs and stuff. I don't know how you make bread. But it's just like <laughs> elemental stuff, right? I just read the instructions and put it in the bread machine and I forget how to do it. But you know what I'm saying. It's just the stuff of the world. And the water. There's water everywhere. It's the, like, the, it could not be more common. And yet these are not common. They are beautiful, sacramental reminders of the grace and mercy of God. And so, to take communion artists, and you don't have to be a member here, you don't have to be a member of any church, you simply have to be seeking to follow Jesus and to walk in his way. 
our table's open for you. As you come through the middle aisle, if you have been baptized, I urge you to put your hands into the water, to dip your fingers in there, and to remember your baptism, and maybe to find some new and deeper meaning in it. If you haven't been baptized, I want you to touch the water too. I especially want you to touch the water because I want you to think about dipping your toes in the water at a, at a pool. Have you ever done this? The first swim of the year, you're not quite sure if the water's warm enough yet, <laughs> and you put your toe in there, and you think, ah, no, maybe next month, <laughs> right? Or you think, oh, it's so hot, I need that cool water. You might have a similar experience. Not having been baptized yet, as you come pa- past this baptismal font, and you dip your, water, your fingers in the water, ask yourself, is this for me now? Is it time for me to do this now? On May 28th? <laughs> we'll baptize you. <laughs> but test the waters on your way to communion. And it's always okay to come up and just look and then keep walking. It's okay. There's a member of the prayer team at the back of the room who'd be happy to pray with you as well. And please uh, do collect your children. I think I went a little long just now, so the teachers would love for you to go get your kids. <laughs> And they can take communion with you. They can do this with you as well, or you can get them right after if you prefer. But our table is open. The font is there for you to experience. And we'll sing a couple more songs together as we close our service. Let's worship God together. Uh, Respond to the Spirit, however the Spirit may be speaking to you. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.